It's a real privilege for me to introduce our speaker tonight. He's one of the newest members of our pastoral team here at New Spring, and he's been a friend of mine for about 35 years. You know, do, do you have anybody in your life that you're just a lot alike? I mean, for one thing, he and I are the same age. Um, we grew up pastor's kids. When I met his mom and dad, it reminded me so much of my own mom and dad. His dad was a wonderful pastor, the kind of guy that's everything good about the ministry. Um, we have three wonderful kids, each one of us. We both married women with whom there are no pastels in their personalities. And uh, John, has, he's a graduate of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He served four churches in Georgia, Virginia, Mississippi, and what a privilege to have him here. But I, I just want to take a moment to talk about why I'm so thankful that John is at New Spring. Um, I have watched in the last 35 years how that this man has a heart and a wisdom that is unusual. You've heard me talk about what I went through eight years ago with exhaustion and how I just went through a tough season for about a took for really a couple of months. And what I might, you might not know is that really it was John and Anita who opened their home to us during that time, and they were with us pretty much 24-7. And during that season, uh, I had counselors that I guess might be considered world-class, and frankly, a lot of them really weren't all that beneficial. And I forget one January, cold January morning, John just said, hey, Mark, I have to go uh, down to the car dealership to have something done. He said, why don't you just ride down there with me? And I was still going through a pretty rough time. And just the simple wisdom that John shared with me was the most profound thing that anyone said to me during those days. And when I came back home and felt better, I thought, boy, it would be a great dream if this man with so much wisdom and so much compassion, such a shepherd's heart, could serve on our staff as care pastor. And you can imagine my delight last year after a lot of prayer and soul-searching when John Renfro came to New Spring Church. Many of you know him already. He's been at the hospital when you were there. He's been one of the first voices you've heard when uh, you go, went through a difficult time. I just want you to get to know him. I want you to meet him. And would you help me tonight in welcoming not only to New Spring Church, he's been here a good while, but welcoming to our stage, my dear friend, John Renfro. Now, now, this is how pathetic it is. We didn't get together before we came to church tonight. I walked up to him and I said, this is just too much. It's great to see you, John. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Good to be here. Before we begin tonight, though, I'd like for us just to check out a quick video. You may have seen this in the past week. For barbecue lovers, Brad's Barbecue in Oxford, Alabama is heaven on earth. But 80-year-old Eleanor Baker says her visit here earlier this month was especially divine. I think it was a God thing. I think God sent me there. You think we needed the example? Yes, that people care about other people and how important it is. <laughs> Eleanor is a widow. She lives with her dog, Rufus. And although she has a big family, they mostly live out of town. So Eleanor was alone the night she went to Brad's barbecue. Security footage shows her entering there in the purple. And at about that same time, these three young men arrived. They say they were just having a good old time. We was all just sitting there just talking. When Jamario Howard noticed Eleanor. An older woman sitting by herself. Jamario says he hates seeing people eat alone. And I seen that. When most of us see someone eating alone, we feel that way. 
But our sympathy never solves anything, and Jamario really wanted to fix this. So he got up from his table and sat at hers. He just came up and he said, I saw you sitting over here alone. And he said, do you mind having some company? And she said, go right ahead. And then I introduced myself and she introduced herself. And that's kind of how it all got started. They all ended up having dinner together. And it was just a really nice, pleasant evening. What those 20-somethings did that night speaks volumes about their character. <laughs> but they say it wasn't entirely altruistic. <laughs> they enjoyed her company as much as she enjoyed right. theirs. Because when we left there, that's all we talked about. When you make that kind of connection with somebody, it's hard to let it go. Like I already feel like we're her grandkids. <laughs> so you got room for these guys in your life? Of course. I'm so glad y'all could make it. They have all vowed to make room for one another. And certainly, if Eleanor's right, that God played any role in this, it may be to remind us of the joy that awaits just outside the bubbles we live in. I used to say when I was younger, and I still say today, like, I'm going to change the world somehow. And I don't know how, because I'm not rich, I'm not famous, and I'm not very smart either, so I can't be the president. But we can show the world that it's all right to be kind, and then before long, maybe the world will be a much better place. <laughs> Amen. I'm not rich. Yep, I'm not famous. And maybe contrary to Mark's remarks, maybe not be that smart. But uh, I do, just as that young man did, have the opportunity to change the world one person at a time when we care. I do have the privilege of serving as the care pastor here at New Spring, and I'm so thankful to Mark and the church for the vision they had to understand how significant that is, and especially with a church's size, to have someone who can be the point person, to have someone who can give direction to that area of ministry to work with a care team to give care and encouragement to those who need it long term and to minister to the fellowship. But as excited as I am tonight to be able to speak to you about that passion, my ability to be able to share the love of Jesus with others, that privilege also resides with you. God's called us all to be about the business of sharing his love and showing his compassion to those around us. And tonight, just like this young man, we have the opportunity to make a difference. We have the opportunity to be world changers, one person at a time, here in Wichita, here in Kansas, to make a difference at New Spring Church. As I try to discern how do we go about that, it's pretty simple actually. You just look in the scripture. And when you look in the scripture, what better model do we have than to look at the life of Jesus? How did Jesus go about caring? How did Jesus go about loving others? And so that's what I'd like to just talk about tonight. Not only my passion, but I trust will be yours to be able to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, the first thing, very simply, up on the screen here, three steps. You'll get them real quick. I'm a simple man. Try to make it simple. Jesus saw. Compassion. If you have the Bible app on your phone and you use that and you just put Jesus saw in the search, 
you will find scripture after scripture that talked about as Jesus walked, he saw. As Jesus was in the boat, he saw. As Jesus entered the house, he saw. As Jesus entered the gate, entered the city, he saw. He saw people. He saw the woman at the well. He saw the little man up in the tree. He saw the cripple by the pool. He saw the blind man by the door. He saw the fishermen mending their nets. He saw people in need. He saw people hungry. He saw people hurting. He saw people. So where do we start if we want to be about that commission, if we want to be about what God has called us to do, then we need to be able to see. And again, as they alluded to in the video, to be able to look beyond the bubble of our own life and to see the bigger picture. Because in reality, how much do we see as we go through life with all the distractions and all of the attractions that are involved with our lives? Are we in that bubble? Have we ever taken the chance to look outside, to open up and see what God has really provided? I think that if we, through those eyes, saw, we could never unsee. My brother um, has somewhat of a reputation in our family because he obviously has amazing eyesight. He has the ability to drive down the road, and whereas I'm just working hard to stay between the lines, remember when my next turn is, he sees things on the side of the road. It's not because he's distracted or uncareful driver. He's a very careful driver, drives a lot. But he has the ability to see beyond just the road. And he has found purses, wallets, phones, watches, every kind of tool available to you. And he's made it his mission as he locates those to try to find the person that they belong to because he has a vision that goes beyond just the narrow scope of the drive. One time he was visiting us at my home when we were living in Atlanta and they were leaving to go home and I had been working on a little project in my backyard and I needed an electrical box to finish it. And so Joel knew that and, um, you know, I hadn't got around to it while he was there. And so we said our goodbyes and he drove off. And five minutes later, he drove back into my driveway. And I said, what happened? You forget something? You have a problem? He pulled out an electrical box. and said, yeah, I found this on the side of the road, uh, leaving your house. So some people just have a gift for being able to see things. And that's what I would desire for us to be able to see beyond just the narrowness of our own life, but to open up and see what God really has out there for us. Uh, my wife will tell you that sometimes, believe it or not, as compassionate and caring a man as I am, that I don't actually pay attention to her like I should. Thank you for that amen. Uh, that was my wife. <laughs> and so she knows the trick now. And ladies, do you practice this? Well, she's telling me something that's significant, that's important, that's meaningful to her. And I'm nodding my head, but I'm not looking anywhere in her direction. So what does she say then? I'll wait for your eyes. Because she knows when I see her that I hear her. 
and that I'm listening, that she has my attention so she can tell me what she needs me to know so that I can respond accordingly. People these days are hurting and dying for attention. How many of you have been to see the latest Marvel movie, The Avengers Endgame? Yeah, a few of you, the rest of you, too slow, get in line. Anyway, had the privilege of seeing that, and it's interesting because, again, as Mark already alluded to, you know, he and I are down the road a little bit, and a few of you others have had that experience too. We grew up with all these heroes in the comics, and uh, now to see them on the big screen is just kind of, you know, what goes around comes around, and the same conversations that we had when we were kids, I now hear it my grandkids having. They're talking about the superheroes and they're talking about their strengths and they're saying, would you rather be strong or invisible or would you rather have you know, the ability to fly? What of those superhero attributes would you want? Well, I have to be honest with you, in this day and time, I think that um, invisibility is <laughs> not a superhuman feat. I think there are many people who are hurting and who are invisible to us as we go about our day-to-day -day because we're too busy looking into our cell phone or worrying about ourselves to be able to see them. In the scripture, you're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. I want us to look just quickly at a few verses there. And uh, we're looking in Luke 10 and uh, 30 through 32, the Good Samaritan. And the fact that key word here is saw. I want you to read along with me as I read. Would you do that? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, I will say I have had the privilege of going to the Holy Land. I have seen that trail where that man walked. And I can assure you that it is narrow. It is hardly bigger than a goat path for one-way traffic. And for someone to see and then to step around, he basically had to step over that man. So I guess my question then in reality for those two, did they really see him? But then a third man came along, and in verse 33, it says that a Samaritan came and that he saw the same man that the other two saw and walked around invisible to them, but he did something different. He stopped. Three men looked. One saw. Now, a few years ago, there was a movie out called Avatar. Anybody see that? There were these blue people. 
and uh, they had their own colony and their own language. And part of the movie, there were some scientists who were studying these people. And the avatars, the, well, the blue people had their own language. But as they were being studied by these scientists and researchers, they realized that they didn't have a term like we would have when I would say, I love you. That was not in their vocabulary. That was not in their word system. What they used and said was, I see you. I see you. So my question tonight to all of us is, Jesus saw, do you? The second thing that Jesus, by example, shows us is that Jesus cared. Compassion. Compassion. Jesus was moved with emotion. Jesus was moved with compassion. In the scripture it says, as Jesus saw the people, he was moved. He had compassion. What is compassion? Well, simply put, the words come. The prefix means with. Passion means suffering. Basically, it means to enter into one's suffering. Is that something that you've been about lately? That is, if you've seen someone, have you entered into their suffering? I was reminded recently of something, truthfully, that I had forgotten long ago. And so I share it with you because it was meaningful to my friends and something that I hardly gave second thought to. We were eating with some friends that we've known, like Mark and Mary Lass, for 35 years. And I mean, this was the man who was best man in my wedding. He was there at my ordination, giving me the charge. We've traveled all over the world doing missions. We've been hunting and fishing together. We've shared many times as friends and as couples. And we were sitting there and just reminiscing. And he just, as we were talking and eating dinner, he said, there's one thing that stands out for me more than almost any other memory. And I'm trying to, you know, think back all the good times we had, all the things that we did together. And he said this to me. He said, I remember when my two boys were five and two and my wife was going through some real physical challenges and as a pastor, you know, the struggles there and the day that they got the diagnosis that she had a pretty severe case of arthritis and it was devastating to a young couple with kids and in their circumstances. And uh, he and I had been fishing that morning and we were, had fish that we were cleaning in the backyard. And you know what we were doing? We were cleaning fish and crying. I didn't have any words of wisdom. I didn't have any answers. All I knew was in that moment he was hurting and I hurt with him. And as he shared that with me, 
I had no idea. It didn't seem that significant to me, but for him, it was something that for 30 years he had remembered and carried because someone had shared that burden with him. The tragedy this day and time is that it seems like we're sinking lower and lower in our compassion quotient. We can cry at TV shows and movies and commercials, but yet ignore the people that are around us every day. And then ask myself the question, so why? Why are we losing our touch with empathy and compassion? And I'm so grateful for the Volatile series and even last week as Jonathan was pointing out that our focus on ourselves and that our anger, our stress, our own concerns and distractions are pulling us tighter and tighter into our own little bubble and we don't have time. We don't see other people. Could it be that just the 24-hour news cycle continuously ramping up with all of the access we have on our computers and on our iPhones and all of our other equipment continues to just beat us until we become numb? Or are we just that self-centered? You know, I love the clip that we saw and I was moved and encouraged by it, but then I got to thinking, what makes that newsworthy? Shouldn't that be something that goes on all the time? But it isn't. And a little bit, I say, shame on us for not being there, for not being available. And I think that we've got the same problem, interestingly, that uh, they had over 2,000 years ago. We forgot who we're supposed to care for and to love. We've forgotten who is our neighbor. And, you know, the Pharisees back then, when Jesus was telling the story of the Good Samaritan, he <laughs> prefaced it with the verse that you're familiar with that's right here in Luke 10, 27, and it very simply says, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So what was their first question? Well, let me clarify, who's my neighbor? Because I want to know who I need to love, who I need to care for, and who I'm off the hook with. So Jesus had to share the story of the Good Samaritan to let them know that everyone is your neighbor. If we look back at Luke 10, 33, it says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity upon him. He had compassion. He cared. You know, compassion is the thing that allows us to move a stranger to a neighbor. Compassion allows us to take the invisible hurting people and bring them into our view. 
Jesus cared. Do we care? But I love this. Step number three. You see, you feel, but if you don't act, there is no purpose. God says that without works, faith is dead. Jesus did something. Now, as a young child, you learn what Jesus is love. You can talk back. It's okay. And we understand that love is an action word. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. Love is an action. And again, as you look at Jesus' example, as he saw, he felt compassion, but then he moved beyond just a feeling into an action. Jesus ministered to people. He ministered them by healing them, by feeding them, by teaching them, by visiting them, by touching them, by encouraging them. Jesus was all about action. You know, I'm so grateful for New Spring. And pretty much every week, if you go through the front foyer here, you'll see me out there uh, speaking to people and trying to encourage folks and see people that I know and meet new people. But as I participate in each weekend, I'm so moved, I'm so encouraged by the fact that many of you here tonight serve on Saturdays and Sundays. You volunteer, you give your time, and whether it be in giving care to our youngsters or giving care and teaching and instruction to our young people or to being greeters and ushers and ministering in some way and you show care and you show concern in tangible ways and you make a difference in the lives of so many people. Can I just say from my heart, thank you for that. I understand you don't do it for the thanks, you do it because it's a blessing not only to those people that you've touched, but I trust a blessing to you. But We, as a church, we as individuals need to take that care. We need to take that compassion beyond the church and into the streets, into the houses, where we go, down to Target, having a upscale dinner at Duda's, playing pickleball at Chicken and Pickle, perusing the sale aisles at Costco. Wherever we are, we need to be about seeing, we need to be about feeling, and we need to be about action. It, well, you know, we, we are called as followers to just be love in action. Can I, can I make it any simpler than that? I was just thinking because one of the things that blows my mind, and you've seen this too, this day and time with video cameras, and like I said, everybody's so concerned about not getting involved, and it's tragic that we watch these videos where people are watching someone be mugged, be robbed, be bullied, be accosted in some way, shape, form, or fashion, 
and they're not taking action. What are they doing? They're filming it on their phone to upload so people can watch. When people need help, they don't need a movie of it. They need someone to make a difference. They need someone to care. My wife reminded me of something that happened years ago. We were in Sandestin for a few days for a little getaway, just she and I, and the weather had been terrible. I think there was a hurricane that had come through or something. And uh, so the weather was not beautiful. As a matter of fact, finally, the sun had kind of come out, but the waves were still high. The warning flags were still flying, but we were going to go to the beach because that's where we were. And I have to say thank you to my wife because she's not, she's not a beach person. Anybody in here uh, don't really care for the sand getting in places? But uh, she, she's a mountain girl. But she went with me to the beach. And so we went down to the beach and we were sitting there. We just took our chairs down. We were reading and just enjoying because there's hardly anybody there because of the weather. Well, as the afternoon progressed, there were a group of young people that came wandering down and into the sand. And they, we couldn't help but notice, they were just so giddy, so excited and, uh, you know, we kind of took that as, hmm, don't get out often, never seen the beach kind of people, you know. But they walked down, and initially they kind of put their feet in the water just to feel it. And there were a variety of ages, you know, mostly teens, but like looked to be about like the 11 or 12 to 16 or 17. And there were some adults with them. And so we were just kind of enjoying their joy and watching them as they were testing the water, and it was cold, and they were, you know, but then we began to watch as they started to venture a little further out, and our joy kind of turned to a little concern as parents ourselves were like, are these people not paying attention? Do they not see the warning flags? Why are they letting them wander out? And so the group kind of thinned to a couple of older boys who were just jumping up and down and having a good time. Then all of a sudden, it happened. The undercurrent, the undertow, kind of caught the, looks like, the, I'd say the eldest and the biggest young man. The other, man, other young man swam back in, but he began to struggle. And you could see the tide begin to pull him out. And there began to be concern <laughs> on the beach. You know, all the other kids started hollering, you know, swim back. And I said, he was trying. Then the adults got involved. And I could tell as I was watching that pretty much nobody in that group could swim. They were all hollered and giving him instructions, but they weren't doing anything. And in that moment, <laughs> I say, there was nobody else on the beach. And I had to make a decision. And, uh, it happened that that day I had bought a, one of those styrofoam boogie boards with a little strap on it, and it was up in my car. So, you know, I kind of did the, let me see if I got to go out there, you know, if he's not going to make it on his own, I need help because he's a pretty big guy, and I know how that you know, he can take us both down. So I ran to my car, got the boogie board, hoping that by that point maybe he'd gotten free and swam back in and he hadn't 
and it just seemed to be getting worse. So I brought my boogie board down, and at that moment, I had to make a commitment. Am I going to just be sympathetic, (laughs) or am I going to do something about it? And so I began to run down towards the beach. Little did I realize that the boogie board I had had the lifeguard insignia on it. I thought that was cute to take back to the kids, the red and the white. So I'm running down and into the water. And of course, these people are going, hey, a lifeguard. I'm like, you have no idea. Uh, (laughs) I ain't, but I'm smart enough to know I need the help. So I swam out to him taking the boogie board, was able to get to him, and he was pretty well exhausted and kind of going down and fighting. And so I didn't wrestle with him. I just said, grab a hold of the board. And I pulled him back in. And as soon as we got in and I kind of got him where he could get his feet under him, and needless to say, he was wobbly, and they came and grabbed him and brought him up and set him down where he was just kind of coughing up a little water and trying to catch his breath. Of course, at that point, Um, you know, the um, lifeguard, EMTs, everybody start pulling up and run down to take care of him. And everybody just gathers around and makes sure he's okay. And very interesting. I just picked up my boogie board and walked off. Nobody ever said, oh, thank you. Nobody ran over and said, oh, can we have a picture of you? Wow, with your board. I don't, then nobody... I just went over, sat down with Anita, just kind of looked at her. We both, I did what needed to be done. A few minutes later, they were kind of back up. He was okay. They started playing back on the beach and Anita and I just picked up our stuff and left. And I didn't think about that (laughs) for the longest while. Uh, But as she reminded me, it was just the fact that, you know what, we see... We need to act, regardless of whether we feel adequate, whether we feel capable. I think that's one of the things that scares so many of us, that we question ourselves when we see others, and we see them, and we feel that compassion, but we say to ourselves, what do I know? I don't have the answers. I, I'm not able. I'm not skilled. But see, here's where the truth lies. It's not about us. God wants to use us to be his hands and feet. And what I found is when we're willing to give what little we have to offer God's willing to take it and use it to great goods. I think about Jesus when he was feeding the 5,000. And again, you're familiar with the story. The young man with the five loaves and the two fishes. And I can imagine, you know, when he brought that lunch that day, you know, it's hardly enough for me, much less for anybody else. And as the disciples were confounded about what to do and how they were going to meet the needs of these people that they found this one little boy with his five loaves and his two fish. And I'm sure the little boy at first maybe thought, "Mm, you know, it's really not going to do anybody good, so I'll just keep it to myself. Maybe then he thought, well, at least Jesus could have some. So he was willing to give it up. Say that, that brought the little boy to Jesus 
and he gave him what he had. Five loaves, two little fish, maybe the size of sardines. Jesus then took it, and you know the story, not only fed the 5,000, but had 12 buckets left over. It's not what we can do. It's what God can do when we're willing to offer what little we have. And in Luke 10, 34 and 35, the Good Samaritan did something. He said he went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He went the extra mile. Now, can I say to you, not every act of compassion, every action on your part to meet the needs of others is going to cost you. But if you commit to live a life of caring and sharing God's love, sometimes it's going to cost you. But I trust that you'll find just like these young men did when they met with the widow that it was a joy to them. It met a need to them. It gave honor not only to God, but to them. Living a life of love and action may cost you something, but ultimately it will bring you joy. Jesus did something, will you? I end with this story. As Mark said, my dad was a pastor. My mother was a, a teacher, both very generous and giving people. And uh, growing up, we lived in a house not near the church, but fairly located, but not one that you would recognize as being a parsonage or pastorium. And back during that time, some of you remember, you know, there were still railroads and lots of things going on. And so they were, didn't necessarily call them homeless as much back in as they were more just like transients and hobos, those looking for a handout, looking for a need. And it was interesting that my mother would find these men knocking at her door and whatever she had, she shared. If they were hungry, if they were thirsty, if there was any way we could meet a need. But she noticed something that as time went along that more and more of these men showed up at her door. And she began to wonder if others in the neighborhood were getting that. And so she began to ask her neighbors, um, you know, are these people <laughs> coming to your door? And they're like, No. And so finally, one day as a man was eating some food that she had shared and drinking some sweet tea and sitting there on our front porch swing eating it before he went on his way, my mother kind of got up the, the nerve to ask. And she said, you know, why is it that you come to this house and not to the other houses? And the man kind of paused for a moment and he says, see, ma'am, you care. And so we've taken, and there's a signal that we have. 
and we put a little chalk mark out by your front gate. And so anyone that needs help knows that if they come here, they'll get it. They come here, they'll get that help. My prayer for us as a church, my prayer for us individually, my prayer for myself is that that chalk mark will be out on our driveway, that that chalk mark will be in our hearts, that people know that because we have been loved, that we will love others, because we have experienced the care and the compassion of Jesus Christ, that we can share that same care and compassion with others, so much so that Wichita will know they come here, they're going to find help. If they come to your house, will they find help? Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your model. And Father, I just pray for myself and each person here and us collectively as a fellowship and body of believers at New Spring Church that you will allow us to not only see through your eyes the bigger picture, the opportunity that followed you allow us to feel that compassion to enter into the suffering and struggles of a hurting and dying world, that, Father, you will then give us the strength and, Father, yes, the bravery to know that our little can be much when you are in it. So, Father, allow us to be freeways for your love and care and compassion, Father. Use us to be your hands and feet. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here tonight and for indulging me. Have a good rest of the week.